Awesome. Okay. Hey, welcome to 2018, guys. It's 2018. This is the How first time the three of us have been together since we dished about Last Jedi. Oh, that's true. That's true. That is accurate. This is also like the first episode we'll have done that's not in, uh, uh, oh God. No, Star time Wars machine. was. Star Wars wasn't Star Wars time was. machine. You're right. Star Wars was not a time machine. Star Wars was not. A, Last, Je- Last Jedi Christmas was not a time machine episode. Like, and, and as far as I know, it is our most played episode. Yeah. <laughs> In a singing podcast, a singing podcast about singing and voice science. This is a singing podcast about <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> people want to know. That was good. Okay, we got a laugh to check the level. We're trying a new recording device out today. We're we're prototyping something. Prototype? That's not the right word, is it? Uh, test driving. Test there, test driving. There it is. There it is. All right, well, we hope everybody had a great Christmas holiday and an awesome New Year's. Yeah. I know we did. Did anybody do anything incredibly exciting? I went and saw more movies than I've, I usually see, so... Should I, should I even admit on the podcast how many times I saw Last Jedi in the theater? Go ahead. I Tell saw them. it three times in three different experiences. 3D, 2D, and IMAX. Still I saw it in IMAX. That. It was worth it. The sound in IMAX was worth it. Was worth it. I'll say this: I loved it in 3D even more. In some I regards, did too. the opening scene. Some of that I think might have just been like I'm literally vibrating with anticipation. <laughs> yeah, we were a movie. mess. That we night. were weeping. You and I were a hot we mess. We were weeping when the cr- when the opening. The scroll was going. And Michael and I were a mess. I believe it was it. embarrassing. Two grown men. So, and... It's okay. I tried to die. Two so grown men that. in recliners <laughs> with 3D glasses on, weeping. It was a hot mess. Anyway, um, okay. Well, I saw anyway. Greatest Showman. That is such a good movie. It okay, was fantastic. I, I have to confess that I am the one of us that's not seen Greatest Showman. It's so good. You need to. Do you know that there was a musical about P.T. Barnum yes. in the 80s called Barnum? Yes, I I'm no aware. Idea. I'm aware of that. Um, nice little baritone role, Barnum. Like uh, he sings a nice little cute song called I mean, "Colors in My Life." Good song for a young, like musical theater man. It only goes up to still F. Baritone. It's, nice, yeah. it's a nice little. Uh, like, yeah, probably I, the same range as Hugh Jackman. Jackman. I yeah. guess that, that's just what that character. In kind fact, of Jackman for. would play that role in Barnum. I'm sure quite well at this yeah. age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was a. It, here's what I always tell people: the music, incredible. Yeah. The the uh the visuals incredible. Yeah. The uh the main characters I would even say really great. I really I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. But it's not a good movie. But it's so enjoyable. I feel like I have to fight you now. Because okay, so that was that's a great sort of, movie. That's sort of like the people who are calling Last Jedi a great movie, but they didn't like it. This is the I opposite thing. Oh, the opposite He's thing. He's saying he really enjoyed it, but it wasn't a great movie. I got it. I it see. Was like, I see. I, it's like movie. it was a great piece of art. I just think it was not a great storytelling device. I like it when you two disagree. I'm very upset right Makes now. Makes for much I, better TV. I don't, I don't think <laughs> no it was... No one can see this. Like, no one's going to say, this musical told an extraordinary story. Because yes. right. that's the least Dead. important part. It's, it's the least important part. And so, like, the last two numbers, I, like, the last number or so, I'm like, you're literally just saying, we need to wrap this up in under two it hours. It was a story of redemption on two fronts. Here's what, but here's the real thing. We all and know gross. that this musical, that this movie is going to be on stage within about five years. Probably. So. I don't know, though. I think I mean, it might. I, since it already it existed as a musical. I, but most people don't know that. People don't. That's, I literally that's didn't know point. that until and, you said that, and I like music. And Pasek and Paul can do no wrong right now. And so clearly, 
Yeah. I mean, I remember when they were coming up and they were selling college. No, they were literally. Yeah, they were selling college musical theater students PDFs from their own private email address for like five dollars. If you, would I have s- a couple of those. <laughs> it was. I mean, that was. I mean, that was. 13 years ago now. I don't have those. But, um, um, not. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember my original versions of everything from Edges were like PDF copies that like Justin or Benj actually sent yeah. to one of my students. Yeah. That's kind of fantastic, yeah. though. But, oh, they've but become all the things. I say that to say there, I, there are many moments in that movie that I was like, there's supposed to be another song here, and I'm sure they wrote it and they had to cut it for time. Probably. There's another song here that's supposed to be here, and this is where the end of the first act would be. So it's the opposite of Disney taking a movie and making it a musical. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. This was, I I, I thought it was great. Um, How was the singing? I thought the singing was really good. It was surprisingly good. Like, at first, I wasn't sure, because Hugh Jackman is the first one you hear sing, and when he first started singing, I was like, oh, the auto-tuning. And I was disappointed, because I know Hugh Jackman can sing, but then... It's weird because even though I know logically he wasn't like warming up or like getting more into it as it went the movie went on because it's a movie they filmed it all they whatever and yet I feel like the singing got better the singing as the, got movie better as the movie went on. went on I think that what you're hearing is not autotune for the sake I think you're hearing stylistic autotuning Yeah because that opening I song agree. is very much kind of that that really straight Slightly electric, uh, slightly Too electronic, smooth. kind That's of two thousand and ten beyond, two thousand and fifteen plus Fallout Boy. Um, where it's like everything's so straight. That's the thing. That yeah. sounds you too lost smooth me to my ears. At Fallout Boy. It's well, a, it's like have you, you ever? Seen you're it? the one who's you're the one who lost. When right you there. said Fallout Boy, I went into dad mode and I almost and I literally almost tuned you out. But but anyways, but you're right. After that, the singing got After better. After that, and better. it got better and okay. better. And I, I thought really... that video of that woman that you incredible you posted was amazing. every singer, every person, but especially every singer who's listening to this podcast needs to go on YouTube and type in uh, "This Is Me" rehearsal. Uh, and you'll find the video on YouTube of them singing. It was like uh, like the like the workshop for them to greenlight this movie, and it is an exceptional like just a moment in time where the lady who sings that big song, she plays the bearded lady in the movie. Um, yeah. She had hidden behind her music stand the whole time in rehearsal, and then she came, they said you need to step out and sing, and boy did she step out and sing, and it's just a beautiful yeah. example of somebody being unhidden and just like. Here I am. I mean, it was fantastic. My so. one musical issue from that movie, which this is such a just like a classical music person, Are you whatever going elitist issue. classical musician on us? Only a touch. They go <laughs> on and on about how this one character, like she's, she's the opera greatest singer. opera singer in the and world. And then she just belts her. She comes song. out and she just starts belting it. I'm just sitting there like, like she's standing in, I don't know where she's supposed to be. It's I guess Carnegie, Carnegie, Hall. It's Carnegie Hall. And like she starts belting, and I'm like, there's no way that would carry to the top seats. I'm sorry. This is <laughs> this is preposterous. Yeah, out of all of the things in that movie, that's what I was like, this is unrealistic. It was, I can't it, get on board. That was the one moment. But, you know, I'll tell you who surprised <laughs> You mean me. if she was singing with the band? What? She, it was I because if she was on the, on the stage at Carnegie Hall doing that, I mean, by herself, you'd hear. But, but there was, it was an orchestra. There was an orchestra. Oh, 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 oh. There was a whole orchestra and her just belting. And I'm like, and first Yeah, off, there's stop. a lot of orchestral noise kept, where you belt. They kept yeah. calling her... An opera singer, and I'm like, there are like millions she, of people out there that are gonna think this is what opera is now. That five is five year olds. This is gonna be their introduction, and I, this is not opera. 
So but I will say, the, the, the one other note that I want to say about this movie was I think that it was great to hear Zac Efron sing as an adult. Yes, that he was, was really Oh, is that good? right? Because even is in he the like, guy who was in High School Musical? Yes, and so even like the later High School yeah. Musical movies, even though he was full grown. He uh, very much still sang kind of in that... Poppy high school. What, like, what, like what we've talked about. I'm yeah, 20 yeah, and I'm yeah, singing yeah. like I'm 16. Yeah. yeah. And still, you can tell he has found his adult voice. And it's, it's great. great. I it love was his so singing. great. I love his singing voice. Have you, have you seen the, um, the video of him? I think it's on the Graham Norton show talking about his phone conversation with Michael Jackson. No. What? What? Uh, Sometimes I forget that Michael Jackson hasn't actually been dead. For so all that long. he was, you know, well, who's the, the the world famous choreographer who Kenny did, Ortega? Kenny Ortega. Oh my gosh, that guy! So Kenny Ortega choreographed <laughs> this is High School Musical, and this is it. He was MJ's choreographer, yeah. whatever. And um, I guess Zac Efron was sitting at dinner with, with Kenny Ortega, and Kenny had to take a phone call, and he motioned Zac Efron because he knew Zac Efron was a big High School Musical fan, and. It was MJ. You mean, you mean Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson was a big High School Musical, musical fan? fan? No, Zac Efron was a big Michael Jackson okay. fan. Sorry. Well, you said Zac Efron was, was a, a big, big High, high School, school He's a big fan of himself. Fan. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I love those movies I was in. Oh, <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's the opposite of that. But Probably. anyways. <laughs> that, that seems like a very David Hasselhoff thing to me. No, that's... Have y'all seen all of the like memes David and Hasselhoff. stuff? Of who's the guy, Robert Pattinson, that, oh, that was in Robert. Twilight? Yeah. yeah. Like, he hates those oh, movies. Oh, yeah, he, he talks all, nonstop he about how bad they were. How bad what movies were? Twilight. Oh, the Twilight movies? He's like, he's like, oh, those bad movies that I was unfortunately in. Like, yeah, oh, okay. like, well, they anyway. made you rich. But, yeah, um, so tell the story. Michael yes, Jackson. Rick. Wait, wait, no, it just did. Kenny called him over and he picked up the phone. And, like, of course, Michael Jackson didn't know who he was the first time. And then I guess <laughs> Kenny talked to Michael Jackson. And then I guess Michael called back because he sort of dismissed him the first time <laughs> and Michael calls him back and asks to talk to Zac Efron and he's like oh yes I really love your work and like, you're like whatever. No, you're... and so Zac Efron like said it was like the greatest moment of his life because MJ liked his stuff oh my gosh and, oh, anyway. I wish Mike if Michael Jackson had ever called me well I would have been 16 that would have been really awkward but um, at 16 if he would have called me and said I really like your work it would have been like stop calling me yeah you're stalking me, clearly. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about moving forward here a little bit. Uh, I do want to go backwards at the end of this episode because uh, we need to hit Christmas special. Mm. Yes. Mm, yes. Okay. It so took me a second to I'll register. Hold. That hold, hold so cool. in, in case you're cool. listening, cool. if you want to hear about our take about the Doctor Who Christmas special and the yep. regeneration, Listen. we're going to get to that in a minute. Okay. So just okay. just wait a hot minute and we'll okay. be with you. Okay. Um, but I'm just thinking towards us actually moving forward to give ever all our listeners who are waited on bated breath, all eight of you um, who listen every week, uh, uh, an update on our IRB study on the range manipulation. There is no update. <laughs> it's, it, it's less it, of an it, update and more of like a like a side <laughs> date or a down date. I would like to again um, say that we are Napoleon going against Russia. I like that. Yeah, I'm going to stick And I've said this on the podcast once before. I've been doing human subjects testing now for over a decade. And in, in 10 years, more than 10 years of this, at Tier 1 Research 1 Carnegie-rated institutions, I've never come under the scrutiny that we're, we've currently been under to have some people go pa 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 
and then rub their neck. It's obviously very dangerous. <laughs> obviously. Um, and so anyway, we are. There's a meeting happening this week to try to help get, get garner us some help in getting approval uh, with our research director in the in the comm sci department. Um, anyway. We're hopeful that in the coming weeks, within maybe a month, we'll have approvals. Like I'm back to that, but I'm I I I'm to the point where I'm frustrated enough that 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 we're needing to start to move on to some other things as an area. Um, and so, with that in mind, just I, I really just wanted to talk about maybe like things that we're looking forward to in 2018 for the podcast. Oh. Um, yeah. I haven't told them this, by the way. So, so this is just, this <laughs> Surprise! is news. This is news to them. We are at some point hoping to get some T-shirts to do a little bit of a T-shirt fundraiser. So there might be some information about shirts happening on the Facebook page and the website. Holy oh. shirt! <laughs> at some time. <laughs> but, but don't, sh- sh- oh my goodness gracious! I liked that. Um, <laughs> I love <loved> puns. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but, um, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, with Michael graduating this year, leaving us, um, you don't have to, Sarah and I are probably going to start another project ourselves. Michael will still be with us on the the laryngeal manipulation project. Um, but Michael's also got to do a recital, a full graduate recital, uh, Uh, Are you near or are you far? He's actually giving the recital right now. (laughs) No, I'm just curious. Literally, in your recital preparation, are you near or are you far? Um, I'm I'm, I'm gnar. (laughs) (laughs) You're near and far? And I know that (laughs) I will go Should I get a flute? (laughs) Should I have a flute player come in here? Um, oh my yeah. gosh! Uh, and we'll talk more about Michael's <laughs> recital as we get closer to it. Um, right now, right off the bat here in 2018, both as we mentioned on the podcast in the fall. In fact, we talked about it on the episode with uh, Doctor Hotailing. Sorry, that was my speakers. Fancy. Um, both of them are in songs for a new world here at <laughs> MC yeah. in the Yay. coming weeks. Uh, we're actually not doing it just with four people. We're doing it with nope. a larger expanded cast. Gosh, it sounds. Do you great. guys want to say what songs you're singing at Songs for a New World? Sure. I'm singing Steam Train. I'm singing Surabaya Santa. And <laughs> then they're in a bunch of ensembles and and different quartets things and, and quartets blah, 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 blah. and. And, and whatnot. Everybody's in the opening number and the final number and that kind of thing. My wife's directing it again. It'll be a fun show. Um, it's the first time we've done anything quite this contemporary sounding. It's fantastic. Full band. Uh, you know, did the full book, the regular book, drums, bass, percussion, piano, two piano books. It's just so fun. I mean, not that with the musicals we It's infectious are, music. It really is. You can't have a bad time. I laid in bed it. last night. And I was like, I was like, I can't sleep because this music's running through my head. Yeah. And then I woke Neither up, could my wife. Then I woke up. This so mo- I, I woke up this morning and I was like, hear my song. Da, 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 da. I was like, oh no, it's still, <laughs> it's <happening>. still there. <laughs> and I was like, it just didn't stop. Well, other things that are quickly on the horizon. The week after my wife closes songs for New World, she and I are. So I'll put a little plug in for this. Are giving a cabaret performance. The two of us and and Tyler Kemp. Oh. Uh, for Mississippi Opera called Musically Ever After, right before Valentine's Day. Uh, About what it's like to be two married people living a chaotic life as professional musicians with kids. Where? 
Where did you get the information for this? This is how did you come up with fictional. it? <laughs> it's a little bit about like you know we're actually applying it to a broader audience. Like anybody could meet the way we meet, or you know things about falling in love, things about getting married, or devotion to each other, or hard times, or struggles, or really having children. And we're doing a little bit of a song tribute to each of our kids. Oh, that's so cute. Oh it's a lot of duet singing, and you might even get to hear me play the piano for myself on a song. Oh, God. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm definitely coming accompany now. accompany myself on one of the songs. That, so that I will literally make my professional piano debut <laughs> on this show. Uh, so, voice teachers out there, work on your piano skills. So, speaking of going back to the time vortex... So yesterday in undergrad ped, that needs to be a section. Yesterday, yesterday in undergrad, undergrad ped. Yesterday in undergrad ped. I, I, in the second semester where they do actual teaching experiences, practical teaching experiences, before we start those, they have to do a piano proficiency. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that, is oh. a, that is a great thing. And you, it's horrible because you make people play scales that are an octave and... One. And a ninth. And it's a ninth. Yeah, a ninth. That's not fun. You didn't make me do that. You, you didn't have us. to do that for that class. No, I didn't. We did. You never took that class as an undergraduate. That's true. I oh. teach it differently at the graduate level. So. It's a real blast. You got to play it in front of everyone. Yeah. Anyway, they were not too excited about uh, perhaps knowing about understand. that. They were very excited when I told them that they would Skype with Ken Bozeman. That's good. They were not very excited when I told them that they had to do a piano proficiency before they started teaching. Oh, they <laughs> thought they things were going, they were things free. were sailing very smoothly. <laughs> it was like so positive. It was so good. Michael was sitting in on the class. I was just there. I was just like, I just want to see. And then, <laughs> and then, right in the last ten minutes, it was like he's threw that. We in. forgot to vortex. We guess we better do it. Here we go, guys. Double, double toil and trouble. And they just went it right up. And, uh, <laughs> but they found out they had to do piano proficiency. Uh, but anyway, no. So there, there are there are two things I, I want to talk about with the podcast beyond the fact that hopefully we will be able to get back to our laryngeal manipulation study here in the spring of eighteen. I mean that is so. trust me, uh, uh, all you loyal listeners who have been with us since the ground floor, we are going to get to this study this spring. It is going to happen. I mean, so hopefully, right. applying an abstract for Voice Foundation spring of nineteen. Oh, yeah, because it won't be this year. No, we missed that deadline by many months, which we weren't planning to, but boy, did we. Anyway, one of the projects that Sarah and I are considering looking at that we just sort of started bringing back, in my life previously, I have done a bunch of research into nasality, and all of it had been acoustic analysis of nasality yeah. there's a device that are a couple different models of a device called a nasometer um, and i've got a few studies that i've published with that uh one in journal of singing one in um the nista journal voice prints uh, and i've presented on it for voice foundation and a couple of other things presented on it for when we used to do pas physiology and acoustics of singing presented that in vegas um did some different things with the nasometer. But one of the things that I was chatting um, with Sarah about is our need to sort of move on to something else. And on the forums, we've had a couple of posts over the last few months about 
twang. So this is the first time using this word on the podcast, right? Let's give yeah. a definition okay. for our purposes. Okay, well, no, I'm, let me give a couple of different definitions, actually, not just for our purposes. Okay. So the word, I actually wrote down some notes for myself. has most oftenly been associated i think with in joint with the word nasal twang mm-hmm. and in fact uh mckinney in diagnosis and correction had that as one of his faults he had two nasality faults nasal twang nasal honk and when yeah. those terms used to be used a lot in speech pathology literature we used to call them uh, all the time hypernasality and hyponasality uh, nasal twang being hypernasality, nasal honk being hyponasality. Mm. Um, mm. A- a- anyway, one of the big we were t- these two are both in my CCM voice pedagogy class this semester, yeah. and one of the things we were talking about yesterday was the sort of monetization of CCM teaching and in voice, and we were talking about all the different methods that are out there and all the different people who are basically selling their product. <laughs> yeah. Not bad or good or whatever, but the, but if you don't know this, the, the commercial voice word is, world is filled with people who have trademarked their process and sold it as a system or a series of videos or whatever. One of the first sort of contemporary singing people who was really looking at belting in musical theater was a woman named Joe Estel. And this is decades, goes back decades ago. She has since passed away for quite a while. I forget what year she died, but, but she has not been with us for, for, for a number of years. And um, she had the word twang and also a different usage of what nasal twang was in their lingo. And so... One of the things that we end up seeing is in voice teaching, when certain people mention twang, they mean one thing. And for the mm-hmm. most part, one of the Estel definitions of a lot of the Estel folks um, is brightness. If they say twang, they actually mean brightness. Uh, and Estel thought that was the aryepiglottic sphincter narrowing. And so there's some there's a you often you'll find in the literature that it's the area epiglottic sphincter or the area right above your vocal folds mm-hmm. that when that narrows you get increased energy higher energy and it get, creates a brightness. Hmm. Yeah. Because the higher energy you create in the spectrum the more brightness there is in the tone. Mm-hmm. That's just a phenomenon of acoustics. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, you know, it basically all ends up inducing more e-vowel at a very high frequency. Right. Yeah. Now, I was actually just talking to one of her disciples who thinks that, who has presented on the form, and I think they're going to publish it, so I want to I credit her um, for this. I, I was just speaking with um, Carrie Obert, who's, who's, who was a speech pathologist, worked at Ohio State, um, and had her own practice. And, and she has some data actually pulling the scope back and looking more at the pharynx and what the pharynx is doing during that sound. And she has some incredible footage uh, that I think she shared on Voice Geek um, that was 
actually the middle constrictor muscle. So if you think of your throat as hollowness above the larynx or where a scope would go down after it passes back through your nasal passage, sort of in that area where you would perceive a cold or post-nasal drip, you have muscles that wrap around the back of that opening that are called constrictor muscles. I'm, I'm sharing this for the podcast, not for these two. <laughs> you guys know this. I hope there are muscles back there. Class. Oh my god! Just kidding. But you have three of them: an inferior, a middle, and a superior constrictor. And she has clear video, video strobo- stroboscopic evidence that it is those muscles clenching, mm-hmm. and that that's where the narrowing is happening. Yeah. For how she defines the sound of twang. That's further up than what Joe Estel had said. Who thought it was lower in the lower larynx. In the now, larynx. she also, she was just telling me that she also believes that the larynx itself raising creates brightness, which is, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, because it shortens the tube, effect. it happens. Um, and if you're defining twang as brightness, then if you raise the larynx, you're increasing twang. Yeah. One of the studies that I, the study that I published in NISTA had to do with the way teachers, singing teachers, people who are not speech pathologists, people who are not have a, you know, a a stroboscopic scope down somebody's nose or in someone's mouth on a regular basis, but people who are singing teachers, I was curious of what sounds they thought were nasal. And I I took, for the NISTA thing, the thing I published in NISTA, I took three recordings to Nats one one year and I had a room full of Nats teachers basically tell me if if they thought a recording was nasal very nasal somewhat nasal or not nasal at all hmm. and I took recordings that one was sort of hyper very no, no I don't want to use hyper nasal because that's a speech old speech path term it had a lot of nasalance mm-hmm. so on the device itself which reads velopharyngeal opening as an acoustic measurement between the nose and the mouth. It it, it divides the acoustic signal between two microphones. Um, One had very high nasalance, very present nasality, true nasality. One had sort of moderate, and then one had very little. And on on the one that was very nasal... That also, interestingly enough, if I'm remembering it correctly, and I need to go back and look at my own data. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I've not gone back and looked at my own article and remembered my own stuff. Hmm. But if it's if, if, if the recording that I'm thinking of, he also raised his larynx quite a, in, incessantly when he sang, this particular singer. And the room was split like 33%, 33%, 33%. A room full of professional voice teachers. A One third page. of the room. A third of the room thought it was uber nasal. A third of the room thought it was somewhat nasal, and a third of the room thought it wasn't nasal at all. And that was the one that actually was nasal. Yeah. So what did they think of the one that wasn't? I, I don't remember. I have to go back and look. Yeah. But oh, but I just can't remember it all. Um. So what Sarah? What I was talking to Sarah about us doing is taking some recordings. I put out a general thing on, on, on PVT and on, on, on Voice Geek just to ask people uh, for recordings that they thought, as a professional, singer, teacher, whatever, yeah. voice person, that they thought had twang in them. And yeah. we haven't, we, we've gotten some, some feedback. 
but I'm interested to see more. And then what, what Sarah and I are going to do is we're going to take some of those samples. Yeah. We're going to put them into Voce Vista. We're going to see what's happening from that acoustic standpoint. And then we're going to try to take those and recreate them in Mata. And see what kind of statements we can make from a modeling perspective or, you know, even when we're listening to it more from now that we can isolate different harmonics. Yes. Uh, what that sounds like. And I'm sure we'll do some consulting work with, with uh, asking some questions of our psychoacoustics person, the, the brilliant Dr. Howell. Oh, <laughs> I did not know where that was going I, for a I, moment. I'm sure, I'm sure I will contact him. To have another discussion about that. He and I had a brief discussion about it about a month ago. So, anyway, so that's something on the horizon. So, I may. Okay, asking a question. Sure. Is. I may not know the answer. Well, I, I guess what I'm asking is Twang is. And I know that this is the most loaded question I could ask in this moment. Is Twang actual nasality oh okay no that for me that's not a loaded question the answer is a blatant no okay because i didn't think so the way i sorry I, i'm happy because to, we're talking about I'm, nasality yeah. and i'm then happy to share i'm happy to share the way i define it but i to the, me twang is the increase in higher energy mm-hmm. which my ear doesn't always necessarily hear as brightness do you just hear it as twang, or do you hear it as something else? Or? Well, brightness I hear at about 24, 25, 2600 hertz. Okay. If you don't hear in hertz, it's okay. <laughs> Most people, I think, don't. And I don't. I don't. I would even say, I mean, and, and anyway, that, that's, <laughs> it, it's more that, that the Think Placido Domingo Singers Formant. Yeah. I hear that as brightness. Right. Okay, yeah. I hear, when I hear, when I, it, well, I've modeled it for you guys. If I take yeah. Mata out, if you have Mata, go to Tolvan, T-O-L-V-A-N, and download Mata, the Mata voice synthesizer. M-A-D-D-E, Mata. Two Ds. Yeah. Uh, invented by a brilliant man named Svante Granqvist. What a name. Or citing things. Citing. Citation, yes. Um, has been a topic on the forums recently. And... If you download it and you take out energy in the area of 4,000 hertz and then you add it back in, or you do that with a filter on on Voce Vista, if you have Voce Vista 5 and you can do frequency filters, you have overtone analyzer. If you add that sound back into the spectrum, I'm telling you classical voice teachers hear that sound as nasal. And what I'm singers form it as nasal. No, they hear about 35 to 4,500 hertz. Mm -hmm. If there's energy there, and so one of the ways that that energy often happens is by a high larynx mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or that constrictor squeeze. Okay, so... So, my, my point... Let me finish. Okay. My point is, when they hear that kind of tube shortening, they perceive it as nasality. And then they're trying to correct nasality. Correct. When it's not. When they're trying to get the palate to lift, when actually they're trying to get the larynx to stabilize. Because if the... Well, and... There's lots of confounding variables there, of course, because if the of, of if course. the larynx raises, then the palate will probably drop, causing 
more air to slip through the nose, well, possibly. Well, no, because the, the, the instinctual thing is if the larynx goes up, the palate goes up, because that's the swallowing reflex. Uh, to shut off so that water doesn't come out your nose like if you're right. drinking water. <laughs> However, the coordinated task that we work toward in classical singing is the other thing. Is the other thing. Okay, right? okay, okay. And so if you are coordinated already to make classical noises... Then if your larynx is high, then you'll probably... Yeah. I mean, you might you do might. the opposite. Yeah. Um, because it does work as a system. The right. system idea is correct. Right. That it's not just one thing or the other. I think that thought is important. Okay, so actual nasality then. Like actual nasalance. Does, where does... It is a sound like this. Right, and so... The energy... And, so and so in a spectrogram, uh-huh. what does that... You, like you say, twang... What'd you say? Thirty-five hundred hertz up the, there to forty-five hundred hertz. Right, thirty-five to forty-five. So where is this actual nasalance? You see that say. on a spectrogram. Okay. Sounds. So it, I don't uh, know that it's a specific area uh-huh. of frequency mm-hmm. because when you introduce the nose as a resonator, you are effectively diminishing formant potential. You're not bringing formants down in frequency. You're actually reducing the ability for them to to engage harmonics. Mm -hmm. You're attenuating them. The word we use is attenuation. And and it does that across the spectrum. Which is why is that why it kind of has a just a duller It is dull. That is correct. Why I know that you have research on this and I've and I've read it elsewhere as well that sometimes a little bit of a nasal idea in passaggio for tenor is not a bad thing. Is it the same? Is it because of this attenuation effect that possibly this? Is yes, there is some some stuff published on that um, by myself, uh, Brian, and I think Sundberg and, and Philippe Brian Gill and Philippe Allah and Johann Sundberg followed that up. They they did a follow up to one of the because I sort of followed up a study by uh, Birch that he had done with Sundberg. And then um, I, I think Brian, I, I don't remember, I read it once and I forget exactly what they found. It had something, they did some kind of experiment with a plastic tube and had, I, I don't know if Brian was the singer or if somebody else was the singer. And when they used some velopharyngeal opening, they were able to avoid the nodes of the tube hmm. and transition without breaks. Hmm. But when they didn't do that, they couldn't do that. So effectively, sort of like transitioning through passage, second yeah. quantum passage. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Here's my one of my theories on that. This is this is theory. I have not tested this. This is not what we're doing, but this is something that we could look at at some point. I have this theory that that what the the velopharyngeal opening it does because there there is um, some of my data suggests my own personal data. So I'm citing myself here that tenors can increase their velopharyngeal opening as they ascend through passaggio. I'm not so sure that the device that I was using to measure that is measuring it accurately. Mm. Because that device is hypersensitive in the frequency area of the first format of ah. Uh, And therefore, if they engage their second harmonic with their first format and they get an acoustic boost there, the mic picks up more of that part of the spectrum mm. 
So it, it's and a it gives false... me a false reading of Nasalance. I should probably publish a little column as a follow-up of that. Yeah. Huh. I should probably write that, too. Um, and maybe I'll take this podcast and, and do that. Um, but here's my other thought along with that, and this is sort of a newer thought. I think you do it if you're a robust male singer, mm-hmm. high baritone, mm-hmm. full tenor, If you're not a Rossini tenor or maybe a musical theater singer or something like this, if you use that nasality, and please, someone out there, if you know more about aerodynamics than I do, feel free to correct me on this. Here's my theory, and I guess we should test this. Okay. Start it to the list. Someone write this down. Not right now. Sarah. Sarah was... Li- I knew... I knew. I said, as soon as I said this, Sarah's going to get a pen and paper out. Um, and it's... We're very thankful for people like Sarah in our lives. I want to make sure we remember things. My theory is that if... What you're basically as a tenor, if you want to turn over, mm-hmm. what you're trying to avoid is maintaining H2F1 tuning right. above F or so. My thought is, is that bringing that nasality in helps you attenuate that first format. Mm-hmm. Uh. Pulls it down. like Correct. Decre- yeah. However, I think you do it at a cost. Because you're also removing the, the you're also attenuating the second format. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's even a greater cost. Like up in One of the things that happens when you engage H3F2 tuning, typically, is your contact quotient goes no. up. Sometimes as much as 10 to 15%. Okay. And so but if you are coupling a bigger area of supraglottal pressure yeah. by including the nose, the chances of you increasing subglottal pressure enough with it for your CQ to go up. This, again, this is conjecture. I don't know the answer to this, but I think it's very small. So in layman's terms, you're losing air? You're losing, you're losing, you're pressure. losing, pressure. You're losing pressure. And if you're singing at high amplitude levels, like a dramatic tenor or a full lyric tenor, then you're not going to get the sound that you need to sing. To be able to sustain the ro- repertoire you need to sustain. Uh-huh. To be able to sing Verdi and Puccini, you're not going to be able to sustain... Correct. Kind of CQ, okay. Your CQ and your subglottal pressure are going to go down. Which, if you're just trying to sing higher... Would work. Choral singing? Yeah. Broadway singing? Music, my amplified but if you're singing? Trying to be heard over but if you're trying to orchestra. sing Verdi, Puccini, Gounod, Massenet, Wagner, do that. <laughs> probably do not the best strategy. Now, again, I'm just throwing that out as a theory. That makes me want to do If that you too. want to test it, I'm happy to participate <laughs> and provide at least nasometers and, <laughs> and a PAS. The, well, the increase in nasality would, because the... True nasality. True we're nasality. Velopharyngeal opening. Let's call it velopharyngeal opening. Velopharyngeal opening would cause the... So it's attenuating the formants. Is this why perhaps some lighter voices, we perceive them as smoother rather than more rough? 
possibly potentially because because that that higher CQ creates a stronger sound source mm-hmm. stronger sound source more energy and higher harmonics that should be therefore there. the sound is going to be more brilliant and Correct. metallic sounding as opposed to I think the terms Ian used uses are rough and resolved though that would still be a resolved. sound that's resolved yes yes as far as his local spectral coherence goes yeah hmm Instead of rough and unresolved, which is what those sopranos do. If you have felt wow. like we haven't talked about singing or scientific things, here it has for been. You, this here episode. it is. We were saving it up for you right here. Here it has been. Where do you find the tenors with the big voices that you would do this study on? Well, and see, look, you know, one of the reasons that I sort of. There are two reasons that I. And I'm just admitting this to the world, because I have no. I'm not embarrassed by it. There are two reasons that I had sort of abandoned my nasality research. Yeah. And this is not really what we're talking about doing. Because no. you're talking about twang. twang. Well, we're talking about taking recordings that just exist on YouTube and we analyzing are, them. Yeah. We are avoiding the IRB at this point. That's what we're trying to do is do a yeah. study where we can avoid IRB. Where we can actually start. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm not salty. But we should include Leah on that on that yeah. on that project. Yeah. Which means we need to give her an acoustics primer. Which Friday, when, I, when we record, just thinking forward to other things that we, I want to record this Friday. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk about primer tutorial videos. Yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't tell them that's something coming up. Because that's something else that's coming up in 2018. Get ready, We're YouTube. We're going to do some vocal fry tutorial videos for YouTube. The world's YouTube. not ready for this. The world is not. Judging on our videos that you and I have already made. Oh, gosh. The world is not ready for this. This will be less weird. Like, with those two, with the videos that we've already made, that's because, like, one of us is just sitting there, like, touching our their face while the other one's, like, weirdly narrating. This won't be that. No, this will not be that. Anyway, we'll talk about those on Friday. Um, but in this episode, because I'm, I'm sure, how much time do we have left? We probably, how, how long have we been going? Actually, We've been going for 41 minutes. Oh gosh, yes. Okay, so we need to get to this, because I wanted to get to this today. We gotta go to Doctor Who, yes. too. We need to wrap up the Christmas special. So we'll come back to more of this, um, and if anybody, all of our eight listeners, want to, uh, talk more. more about tenor nasality, I'm happy to talk more about it. Hit us up. Hit us up. Um, but so let's go back to Doctor Who because we definitely need to get to the regeneration. First of all, let me just let me just share my Clara killed me. It, it killed really me. Did. It, it killed surprising. me. It it got me good. I was not expecting it. I was not expecting. I finally. It. Yeah. I think I finally like Clara. Don't ask me why. It only took me. Well, I, I confess to these two, and I, I gosh, if, if we have Whovians who actually listen to the podcast, I'm going to get ripped apart for this, but I think Clara's my favorite companion. Yeah, I'd rip you I loved that. her initially. Okay, Rose, okay, fine. Rose is my favorite. I thought that's who we were going to see because the music, they kept using the Doomsday You music. thought we were going to get Rose Tyler? I hope. I, no. I can, already dealt he with has Tyler. no connection to Rose Tyler. Oh, well, they used the music, and then and then there was something. You thought we were going to get Rose Tyler? And the regeneration doctor, because he said something. Oh, gosh. I can't even remember. I'd have to go back and watch. But I, I think it was the first doctor said something about, I don't know. It was some comment about how, like, you can't have that normal life or just keep going or whatever or, like, stay with one person forever. And I was like, ha-ha-ha! 
You can. He did it. Dr. Human Metacrisis. Exactly. So I thought maybe something. I don't know. I just want it to be a thing. I loved Clara's concept. I felt like the last little bit with her was just not what I wanted it to be. But, like, not her ending. I thought her ending was fine. But, just but where she, like, Some of her going. last episode. Yeah, just the, the the way that that character progressed, I didn't love. Yeah. But I don't dislike her at all. I thought she was great, and I thought it was a perfect moment. Now, we need to talk about how amazing it was to hear the doctor say all sorts of misogynistic, oh horrible things. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> the, 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 the weird, yeah. We don't even need to quote them on the podcast. We won't no, quote we them, won't. But, but, but you, you know, know it was... It was... <laughs> it was, it was, it was Clearly, as we've discussed before via Facebook, uh, we were messaging each other about about the episode over the break. I mean, clearly they were trying to set up, okay, we're moving now, we're coming full circle, we're having a female doctor, you know, we're progressive, this kind of, this kind of, whatever. They really set it up, and it was a great way to finish out Bill, because so much of her storyline has been dealing with social issues. Right, sure. So, I mean, so I understood what they were doing. It still felt... It was awkward. It was awkward. The we first, the first time when he made the comment in the TARDIS, it felt. It and felt, you know, it almost felt forced. And maybe that's. I don't know about well, that. Well, I don't know about. But as far as it being uncomfortable, maybe that's the point. I mean, if somebody makes the, those comments towards you, it's awkward. As some, like, I mean, I deal with comments. Well, some I of think those. I felt like what what was forced about it is that that's not Gallifreyan. It's Gallifreyan history that. That things like that, they dealt with millennia ago. Yes, but, yeah, it is. A, it was a little bit of, like, a weird fourth wall inconsistency moment. Well, and everybody because loves the, the first Doctor. Well, and the first Doctor, the reality is the first Doctor acts like a human being from the 60s. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. No, yes. He, he was yes. in line with the character. Yes. But, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. It was interesting. I just met with where we've gone canonically yeah, over the it, last... It was, Eight, 13 years. Yeah. yeah. And let's just talk about the fact that uh, I think he did it really well, but um, gosh, Stephen Moffat, right name? Yeah. Yeah. I always Moffat. Like, I want to give him the wrong first His name. His farewell. Stephen Moffat effectively. Well, he wanted, he wanted the season 10 finale to be his farewell. And Chibnall was are still committed and couldn't do the Christmas episode. He and so I didn't he, know uh, that. he came back. I, I heard this. I want to cite talking about citations. I heard this on Radio Free Scaro like two days ago. Oh. So that's where I learned that. I th- but it's so I thought it was a bold, dangerous, and I think well executed choice to effectively change the history of the first Doctor. Sure. Yeah. That's literally what he did. Uh, sure. But, you know. Because one of the big things with him is you always hear, like, he's the only one that, well, I mean, technically 11, regenerated out of old age, but just got old, regenerated, that's his thing. So you're saying that you can change canonical mythology of a character, even a legendary character, like, I don't know, Luke Skywalker, an entire fan base might not lose its mind? Sorry, okay, I'm done. I'm, I, I, but I'm, I'm sorry. Time, I, had to calm, I had to calm down there for a second. Admittedly, most of the people who knew, who watched the first Doctor personally, <laughs> okay. most of right. the people who watched the first Doctor personally Probably are not. dead. Or don't watch the show anymore. Right, yes. Or don't watch the show anymore. Yes, because it was 53 years ago. Right. That is a while. <laughs> so, admittedly, Star Wars fans are actually just like... So if they were 10, they're now 63. So... Good for them, <laughs> but... Wasn't... No. 
Was right. Peter Capaldi? Wasn't he? Didn't he watch the original? Yes. In that part of his yeah. thing, that's like part of his he thing, grew up yes. on it. Okay, so how uh, uh, the guys on Radio Free Scarrow asked this of themselves, but how how do we feel? How does this regeneration and speech? Well, two questions. How does this regeneration rank? And then how does how does this speech rank amongst Doctor Speeches, specifically Capaldi's? I loved this speech. I thought it was a great speech. It's not my favorite speech of his, but I thought it was a great speech. Capaldi is a great speecher. He's a great. Orator. He should just do monologues. He, That's his, what he yeah, should have been in I, a yeah, past life. I feel like his his monologues are, are his great. monologues are the best monologues of any of the modern. But I'm More glad than, he didn't yeah. end on it. Like I'm glad that the the speech wasn't his like his way to go out like he still had that one line you know every doctor has their one line that they say right before they regenerate yeah and just i went back and i watched the speech that he gave to missy and the master okay as i was thinking about the speech that he gave at the end and I think the speech that he gave to Missy and the Master is better. That's his really his true goodbye in some ways. In, in, I in think I of, think yeah. Moffat Moffat meant wrote for it that to be, to be his goodbye. last because goodbye. that's where he goes back to never crueler kind. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. and, and all the things. Everything we think of as the Doctor. And all the yeah. things. I yeah. And just... and then asks the Master to stand with him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, which is so Doctor Who. I mean, that's so, yeah. so Doctor Who. But Especially, I mean, sort of going back to even Tenet, for, you know, you know what happens now. Yeah. I forgive you. I mean, yeah. very powerful, very powerful Doctor Who. But, um, his, go ahead. As far as last lines go, though, you can't, you can't beat... I don't want to go. No, you can't beat oh. Tenet. Can't, as far as last lines Especially because that was improvised. Yeah. yeah. You but can't beat ten. The I let you go. It's funny because I feel like I told y'all about this already, but literally all day I kept putting off watching the episode because I was like, you know, I'm I'm not ready to let him go. I'm just not ready. And then when his last line is, I let you go, I was like, oh gosh. Yeah, it I was, wasn't ready. It was it was it was rough. It you was, said this. It was bad. It was rough. It was, uh, it was a bad time. It, can it was you open that window back up. It was, it's it was now seventy seven degrees in, in here. here. Um, you know the thing. I, I think that for me, yeah, it's really hard. It was almost doomsday level of tears. I think that the line, I, I'll, I, I think I feel a little bit that way, similarly to how I feel about Doctors now, that I came to Doctor Who late. Yeah. And when I was first watching through the new series... I very much relate to David Tennant's character, and I very much love, love his performance Tennant. as the Doctor. And I very much relate to that character, I think. Because I, I was in a time of my life where I was had gone through a lot of turmoil, and so the Doctor's just come through the time war. I understood the character. The character very much spoke to me. And I think most of us, a lot of us will say, David Tennant is the Doctor. But Many people. I will say, I think Peter, Peter Capaldi is my doctor. Mm. I've never been able because to say... Like, I think we're too young. In the, I don't know. Yeah, and I think some of it has to do with my maturity now and having come through some of the things that I've been... I'm, I'm sort of full confession on the podcast. I'm already now 
post my first midlife crisis. Um, just a full open confession of life. I'm not embarrassed by that at all. Because God has strengthened me and turned me into a much more loving and kind human. I think I'm having an ongoing life that. crisis. <laughs> what? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Michael knew me before my first midlife crisis and after. So it's, it's a little bit like a doctor transformation. There's, there's pre-hair and post-hair. That's correct. Yeah. The hair came off in the middle of the midlife crisis. Yes. Yes. I was that, there for that, that. Wow, that's a good observation, actually. Yes. I, I hadn't even sort of connected that. Yeah. Anyway, sure. but I think... Had the crisis, shaved the head. But, but <laughs> I, so I, I think Capaldi at this point is... <laughs> Sorry. I just... <laughs> it's oh. accurate. <laughs> Thank God that we're back and we're recording. I'm really no, so grateful. Guys. I'm really so grateful to God Let that we're back together. <laughs> Anyway, okay. uh, no, but I, I think Capaldi <laughs> right now, anyway, is my doctor. Yeah. And maybe that's just because this is the first doctor that I've watched live. Week to week, yeah. Week to week. Hmm. Yeah. That does make a difference. I hadn't... And I will still go back. For me, as far as the speeches go, the Zygon inversion speech is will me. is unparalleled. Yeah. That that yes. for me yeah. is my I favorite. Mean, that's, a great speech. that's my favorite Doctor Who moment of modern Doctor Who. Not just my favorite Capaldi speech. Oh. For me, that is my favorite. I don't know. I have. I don't feel like every. Do- I feel ha- I have a soft spot for every Doctor, just in different ways. Like with Eleven and his speech in the long song, just well, come on, then you know, ugh, gets me really good. And then Ten. He is, you know, fire and ice. Mm, he is. The truly. oncoming storm. And then nine, I love, like, the moment at the end of the library. Oh, look yeah. me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. And then you're, he, you're plugged into the biggest database in the history of, of, of the universe. Look me up. <laughs> look it's me so up. so good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, so and then you've got Nine, who, like, Nine was fantastic. Mm. He's just, I don't know. So, I do. They regar- all get me good. Regarding look me up, just quickly. Uh, I thought that it was very cool. Well, first off, I'd like to say that it was great to see um, a Doctor Who episode that was not about who's this villain. It was like such an interesting, yeah, yeah they place. weren't bad, so brilliant. And I kind of, I'll admit, I kind of thought that that was gonna happen. Oh, I was I crying didn't. when it, when I found out it was the Christmas Day that it was the that it was the like the armistice. Yeah. Yes. Oh, but then, but oh, then that was a mess. But then I loved, I I, I loved watching the first doctor see all his iterations and go who was that guy yeah. <laughs> like who was that guy what on earth are you talking about who are they he's like oh my gosh like it was like i just loved it i guess i guess i just to wrap the idea up of my point about the zygon version when he says that that i've fought in bigger wars than you could ever imagine yeah, yeah. It's still him thinking that he destroyed Gallifrey yeah. and killed yeah. 2.6 billion children. Yeah. A- and because in the in the in the day of the doctor, yeah. they keep so going back to how many were there? How many were there? Right. 2.6 billion. And so I, it, anyway, I, I, yeah. I, having that just as a connected thing. Yeah. It, yeah. I fought in bigger wars than you could ever imagine. Wow. Uh, it's um, just. There are large chunks of the last few seasons of Doctor Who. Basically, everything post-Amy Pond, I have to go back and watch 
because everything just started happening and changing so fast that I like, can't remember Basic, what order everything goes for in For me, it's... Yes, because from there the, were companions, and the companions stayed, and then the doctor switched, and then... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. From the point that I wasn't binging on Netflix is where I started having trouble just because... I, I wasn't like, binging it on Netflix. Like, I watched everything that was on Netflix sure. two, three times. Right. But then it started being on TV. They took it off Netflix. Now it's on Amazon Prime. And I don't have Amazon Prime. Right. It's the, a real issue. Wonderful. The first six seasons, I can tell you perfectly. Everything. Literally Even every season moment. seven. I can tell you about that. Season eight. How did you yep. feel this one ranked amongst Christmas specials? I think it was the least Christmassy. Um, it was. Not the least Christmassy. It was... Go- uh, how to put this... If we were just talking about Doctor Who episodes, one of my favorite, I think it was a great episode, but I, I, I if we're talking about things that are Christmassy, um, nothing can compare to uh, the Christmas story, Fish in Space. Um, Wait, is yeah. Fish in Space the one with Katherine Jenkins and the singing? No. Yes. 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 I love that one. Yeah, that's I agree. That's a wonderful that's, episode. That's probably if my I was favorite. Say, I think the Titanic is for me. Oh, yeah. It's Ooh, great, too. That's a good one, it's too. It's great, too. Basically, yeah. anything's better than Kylie last Minogue, the companion that wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I what didn't love last, last, the comic last book one. Oh, I, that was not I my favorite. Was, I enjoyed that, but that's because I loved I those. didn't care for that. But like, Husbands of River Song. Oh. Uh, yes. Husbands of River Song. Are you kidding me? That's pretty good. Yeah. That was, to me, almost the moment Capaldi became the doctor. No, see, for me, um, it, see, okay, on an opposite note, though, the comic book one from last year was actually the one that won over Capaldi for me because I just thought That's he funny. was so, like, curmudgeon up to that point. It was like they forgot to make him fun. See, I felt like that, that he softened on Husbands of River Song a year before that. Huh. I felt like he had softened and... I just wanted to see the Doctor be absurd. And so to watch him, like, freak out and, like, <laughs> have, and like, be eating sushi and... Being we- I just loved it. Yeah. It was like, that won me over. But Wonderful. I'll admit, that was not the best Christmas. Wonderful. Christmas Absolutely. fish in space. That's yeah, fun. that's my favorite. All right, well, far. here we are embarking on a new year. And we're actually going to be back with you. We're going to be back with each other just in a couple of days because we're trying to get yeah. an episode in for this week. And then I'm out next week. And so we got to get an episode recorded Friday for next week because I'm going to be... Next week, I go to... Carson Newman University, where I will be assisting them set up their voice laboratory. They were able to receive an endowment, and through some connections through Nats, found out about me. I was geographically the closest sort of tech person to them. Push all the on buttons. (laughs) Well, don't tell them. Not, not, Not quite. I think I'm sort of, in a way going as a pseudo-representative of Voce Vista. I mean, because <laughs> I also convinced them to buy Voce Vista and to buy an EGG from, oh, they'll be so glad, from Voce though. Vista. And so, um, they've they've got, they have the new, they have Voce Vista 5 point whatever. Okay. But that version it uh, will, is not yet EGG compatible. So I'm actually going to set them up on Voce Vista 3 point whatever 4. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get them up and running on the PC. And I talked to Bodo Moss, who's the writer and programmer for the new Voce Vista, Sigit.com, S-Y-G-Y-T. Um, and, and he said that he's hopeful that the EGG um, compatibility for the new Voce Vista will be done by March. Uh, he actually has sent me a version of it. I have a beta version of it on my computer. 
but currently it will only play existing EGG files. So mm. like we can look at our data from the Belter study. Oh yeah. With that, yeah. if we want to. Yeah. Um, but you can't put that. in new EGG information. Not yet. Not yet. And it's not quite stable. He said the program's not. It crashes. Yeah. Uh. He said it's not quite stable yet. So. Mm. It's not quite ready for public release, but I'm very fortunate that I'm sort of in that Voce Vista circle. To play with her. Anyway, all right. Well, we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. Happy 2018. Lightning speed Lightning. takeaways. Lightning uh, speed. Oh, hey, what did Sarah have for breakfast? Oh, I had eggs. It was depressing. Sarah had protein for breakfast. I had eggs and green tea, and I hate my life. Oh, podcast humans. I went home to visit my family for they oh, are in Tennessee, and you know, breakfast you biscuits. know what I found in the cabinet? Some Belvita breakfast biscuits. It was a cookie. People. It literally says biscuits I on ate the like box. I like four of them, literally. and they were delicious I know and just they are. like cookies. I know, but it says biscuits on the box. But biscuits. it definitely eats like a cookie. Biscuits. Well, I had eggs today. <laughs> I tried to make avocado toast, but apparently I don't know how to tell when avocados are ripe. Because it was hard. hard. It was so hard. It tasted like like wood and soap. Yeah, that's <laughs> what and happens so when avocado's not ripe. It wasn't. So I threw that half away, and I put the other half in the fridge, thinking maybe someday nope, it'll be ripe. Not if it's in the fridge. Well, then I'll take it out of the fridge. All I know <laughs> is that brown. was a failure. It's gonna get really brown. So I made eggs. Well, I am not. I paid money for that avocado. I will eat it. Okay, quick takeaways. Shoot, uh, it's important to rest. Uh, that's my takeaway, uh, because in just the middle of this, the, the middle of the beginning, if you will, uh, of this semester, I have already not slept well, and so I just know that if I don't take a moment and rest and prioritize, uh, then I will not ever um, get a solid footing. So, take a rest, people. Prioritize rest, because even though you got a million things to do, uh, you uh, you have to sleep or you'll die. So. Oh. That's all. Prioritize resting. Yeah, don't don't die. Uh, well, first off, they are biscuits. Just need to get that in again. Uh, <laughs> secondly, go see Jumanji because that was a hysterical. Oh, movie. was it good actually? It I'm is hoping that ten years hysterical. from now we can come back to the podcast and do another every reunion episode and talk about how they're still cookies. They're oh biscuits. <laughs> no, no, that was my takeaway. We are like, not taking that away from you. Like it'll be to the point where Sarah and Jamie already have kids. Oh my god. And like my kids are like graduating high school. And and we're in college, and we'll do a reunion episode, and we'll be like, hey, Sarah, by the way. They're biscuits. Cookies. Biscuits. Biscuits. <laughs> Sorry, you said Jumanji was good. It was hysterical. Definitely worth seeing. Surprise. Former I, Doctor Who companion. I literally, yeah. Well, so that's the one of the big reasons I went to see it. And sure. then it was hilarious. Like, I, I would pay money to go see it again. It was so funny. I'll buy it on DVD. That's something that I could watch mm. over and over. Well, then I'll go see it. I was okay. so funny. My takeaway, and I'll make it short. For all you last Jedi haters, <laughs> I love you. I support you. You're welcome to have your opinion. It's fine. Your wrong opinion. Wrong. You may be wrong about it. I probably don't love you. Um, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say that I. I'm gonna show you grace, and I understand a lot of your arguments that it wasn't canonical for Luke to blah blah blah. And that Kanto bite went on too long. Nobody's really arguing that point. And and even Sarah and her, 
I wanted to know about Snoke. I need to know. And and all this kind of thing, and I'll the humor that wasn't Star Wars esque, and all these things. I will admit the Holdo maneuver is hugely problematic. It's just a huge problem. But the movie is fantastic. But it, I'm just going to say it for the podcast record again. Now being emotionally removed by almost a month, that it's my favorite Star Wars movie that's ever been made. It's mine too. And that's so just. Like Attack of the Clones. That's what. Sarah. On that note, people, we're going to say goodbye. <laughs>